Hey guys, I'm so excited about this week's podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different. It is Thanksgiving week 2021, and my good friends Dusty Bratzler and Taylor Gabbert have chosen to join us on the podcast. We're going to have a conversation today about uh, young adult ministry, what it means to be a young adult, uh, what it means to be a parent of a young adult, and answer some of your questions. Here we go. There is a story. Appreciate you guys coming on to this special episode of the Reach Podcast. Um, we are sitting here in beautiful South Tulsa slash Bixby slash Broken Arrow, right at the center of the universe. Um, but uh, we normally will do a lesson and put that up on the podcast, but um, it's Thanksgiving week. A lot to be thankful for. God's been doing a lot of things in young adult ministry. And I have uh, Dusty Bratzler and Taylor Gabbard here with me. Um, the goal of what we're going to talk about today is um, young adult ministry and um, just kind of what God is doing, things that we've observed and maybe some challenges that we've all faced in working with young adults over the last several years. And um, Dusty and Taylor are both um, worked with me in ministry pretty extensively and are good, good friends, close brothers. Um, but not everybody knows you guys. So Dusty, why don't you kind of give us a quick introduction and then we'll... Uh, Ask Taylor to do the same. Yeah, uh, my name is Dusty Bratzler. I've been in ministry for coming up on 10 years, uh, mostly youth ministry, young adult ministry, um, nonprofit world, uh, getting ministries together for the sake of unity, bringing people together just to see the kingdom of God and what it can do. Uh, and we've definitely seen that um, just here in the South Tulsa area, um, Tulsa in general. I mean, just doing crazy stuff in youth ministry. Um, have a wife, uh, two babies, a fur baby, and then a baby in the oven on its way. And, uh, I, I love Evergreen. It's like my second home. Um, sometimes I spend more time here during the week than my own office. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the code to have a key. Um, but it's fine. It's, it's, I'll put it on my Christmas list and see what Santa can do. It's funny because our students call it Dusty Uncle Dusty. This is a, this is a this is a true thing. Funny story. I actually put that on my social media one time um, from when we did like a youth event, and they actually gave me the name tag and said Uncle Dusty. Um, I put it on my social media, and a guy commented, was like, "Man, that's how you know you have influence on your students." I go, "They're not my students." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "But thank you. I'll let them know." <laughs> Taylor, what about you? Tell us about you. Okay, uh, so I'm coming off of uh, 11 years in the, in the Army right now. I'm about two months away from finishing that up. And then uh, for ministry experience, I basically have spent the last two years working, uh, had the privilege of working alongside Philip for Reach Young Adults and just getting really heavily involved in that ministry. Um, God just really moved me towards the young adult community, and um, and I, I, I was making connections in, like, the BCMs around town and everything like that, working closely with Kyle Thomas and, and uh, Pastor Riley. Um, I, uh, I know that God is moving me into ministry next. That's like the direction I'm headed. Um, work, um, I started my seminary degree. Haven't, haven't exactly, uh, nailed down exactly what r route I'm going to take with that yet, but, uh, just recently got married and, uh, we have three dogs, um, no kids yet, but that's, that's pretty much me. <laughs> Hold on. Does he just take your time with them dogs? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother conversation on a whole nother day. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Whole nother podcast. So, um, got a couple of questions here. Let's jump right in. Uh, there's something, I mean, we talk about this all the time uh, in young adult circles, um, but I'm curious about you guys individually. 
how do you deal with anxiety and depression and mental health? How do you guys um, personally deal with those things? Like, like as in, not as in counseling someone else, but as in my own life. Right. Me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think first off, you have to identify what is rest for you. Because what is rest for you is not going to be rest for everybody else. It's not going to be what you find on TikTok and go, oh, well, that's what that's, that's what they're doing. So I, I can, you know, there's not a copy and paste for rest. There's not going to be a copy and paste for peace um, in your life, like for, for specific things to do. For some people, it's going to be working out. Like for me, if I can go work out, I can just, oh, man, I can just, for, for an hour, I can just be completely different place and calm. I could calm. Um, we give plasma, you know, I've come in counseling. I, I, I go to counseling for the last year and a half. Been ama- the most amazing thing in my life. Just being able to have another per- like a third party that I can say whatever I need to say. And then they kind of like decipher it. They kind of, like he says, sift through my junk and go, Hey, here's the gold. Um, so there's that. And then I think in counseling, I didn't even realize that I was finding, like I had found a way to monetize my rest and I for because I have a needle in my arm I can't move for an hour and so I sit and read a book like I don't have any problem like you know after I after I read about a chapter a chapter and a half I get on Instagram and I'm like I don't have to like I, I'm not like neglecting anybody by doing this and so I find rest through those things but you got to find I think the key is find what's rest for you and then uh, don't try to be like don't try to identify your rest in somebody else mm. that's a great point Taylor, what about you? So I, I kind of have all, like almost a – I completely agree with this rest idea. I, I kind of have a different concept behind um, anxiety and like mental health. Since my path has been so different, like my 20s was was completely built into the military and doing uh, some of like like going to ranger school and things like this. So I always describe that those experiences like turning the volume up on life. So then everything after that just seems not as worrisome. So I, one of my struggles, and this is why I say my take on this is a little different. When I think about this, my issue is not internally as much because I'm like perpetually happy. Like I don't, I don't feel the weight of like struggling with my own mental health. But the, but the downside of that is it took me a while to realize I wasn't sympathizing well with other people mm-hmm. because it, other, when other people had, you know, mental health struggles, I kind of had the mentality of like, well, just suck it up, and that's not a good mentality, especially because I started dealing with like having family members going through these struggles. And that's when I start going, okay, I need to understand this in a different way. And I need to understand it from, okay, maybe it's not your struggle, but that doesn't make it not real. You know, so that, that's been a big, big piece for me. And, uh, and, and I've recently started really pouring into this idea of like, what does it mean to rest? And like, what is, what is it God's, um, goal for us, right? Even in work, uh, in, you know, in heaven someday is to be in rest with him. And so I've started really picking up on that idea, and, and that contributes to how I talk to young adults about these topics. You know, just to dive into like more of a biblical aspect, I remember, so my dad, my dad passed away of cancer. And it, I mean, that's a very, there's an anxious moment when you know that you have a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was blessed enough to find his Bible that the, like, the, the beginning of my ministry, like, outtake you know he went to bible college and and uh during his time and i found his bible and like sermons that he never got to preach basically mm. um and in there i found philippians 4 6 right 
And we always, I feel like we always go to this when we, when we hear the word anxiety, we literally go to Philippians 4, 6, you know, don't worry about anything or say, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. It's yeah. like, okay, it's so cliche. Like, what does it mean to pray about everything? Like, I tell people all the time, like, what are you worried about? Tell me what you're worried about. And they're like, well, I'm just really worried that, you know, I won't get the job. Cool. How do you turn that to a prayer? So how do you take that worry and just make it a prayer request? You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. then it, it makes it more tangible of how to pray about everything. Yeah. What does it mean to pray about everything? Well, what's your worry? You're pretty clear on what you're worried about. So then just flip it into that prayer mm-hmm. request and start talking to God about it. Then like verse seven says, you know, you'll find peace that, uh, beyond all understanding. Well, then we're all like, well, I, that's gold. Like I want that all the time in my veins. Like I want peace beyond understanding. I don't want to have to worry about anything. And then there's verse eight. It says like, Fix your mind on things that are pure, yeah. honest, like admiral, humble, like, um, all these things. Like it, it's, his, it's naming all these like eight different things. And his equation in his Bible was this. If you want verse 7, do verse 6. So if you want peace of the understanding, pray about everything and don't worry, right? But if you want verse 7 to stick around in your life and you want it in your veins, then do verse 8, mm. which is fixate your mind on those eight things. So if you really want that in your veins, you're like, man, I just want this piece to stick around. Cool. Then focus, like you have to take captive your thoughts and yeah. make them those things. Yeah. Is it pure? Are those thoughts that are going through your heads, are those worries, are they pure? Are they true? That's mm-hmm. the big one. A lot of times, like, are they actual true thoughts? Are they actual true about you, about the situation? And when you take that captive, that thought, you're like, that's not true at all. You want to talk about peace that just like comes in. You're just like, oh, not as bad as I thought. Yes. So, dude, and I, on that point, I'm great. I'm glad you brought up Philippians four because our our pastor Michael Gabbert he he said one time that um, he was talking about meditation, and people were asking about meditation, and he said, well, we meditate all the time. We have a choice what we meditate on, right? Worry is meditating on things on our own fleshly capacity. You know, I'm I am. I'm mulling over all the time, all the ways that I am insignificant. I'm not able to contribute to, you know, my situation. That's, that's fleshly worry. That's fleshly meditation. But meditating on God's word and meditating on truth, that changes everything. So solid. Okay. Um, this is kind of an interesting question. Should Christians use TikTok? Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> so I need, I need like context, right? Because context is everything. So is this meaning as in like, as just a viewer? You see, I'm like, I'm just like scrolling through or like the Christian influencer TikTok. Well, I, I, I don't have that context because the, que- so I've got this list of questions from our young adults and from different people I've been collecting for the last couple of days. Um, and it just says, should Christian use TikTok? So I think, I think what they're asking is, um, you know, there is the, there are the wholesome, funny TikToks, right? And then there's the booty shaking bikini girls, TikToks that are not edifying at all. Um, so I guess we could turn this into platforms in general. Like for instance, I staunchly 100% do not move in my opposition to Snapchat. Like it is the devil. It is the worst thing. Um, literally a platform designed around sexting people. Um, so let's just talk about that in general. Like, like what, uh, what should those boundaries look like? What should our attitude be towards uh, social media? And I already, already know where, where Taylor's going to be going on this, but uh, what do you guys think? Burn all your social media to the ground. 
<laughs> okay, no. you got to elaborate. No, okay. Here's my thing about it. It's the it goes back to that whole poop in the brownie batter thing. Okay, you got to explain that cuz some people don't know. Yeah. So, if I if I baked you some brownies and I brought you a whole thing of brownies and I was like I was like, "Uh, hey, I baked you these brownies, but there's just like there's a little bit of dog poop in here." Like just a tiny bit, not a lot, like just a tiny bit. Would you eat the brownies? And like most people would say no, right? And here's my thing about social media. Was it a sixth grader that's like, yeah, 100%. (laughs) For how much? (laughs) Right. Yeah, how much money? So here's my thing about social media is like there's not a yes or no answer. Like you can't say to – even to Snapchat, I would would argue you can't say like there's a yes or no answer. It – I think the Bible talks to us about like what – how is this affecting you, Right. And the reality is if you're on there and you know, like in the back of your head, you have that question mark, there's a little bit of poop in this brownie, you shouldn't be doing it. And for me, and that's why I'm so anti-social media. I don't have any social media. I got completely off of all of it because for me, and, and again, this is for me, there's no way, you know, even if I used it in as many edifying ways as I possibly can, there's no way for me to get away from the parts of social media that drag me down, that make me not focus on what Dusty was just talking about, not focus on these things that are lovely and, and honorable, right? I, I can't do it. Now, if you can, I'm not saying, that's why I don't, I don't say, I'm not a legalist about this. I'm not saying like, no, social media is bad on all fronts. There's no way to use it right. You can, but you have to be the person that faces up and says, okay, if following Jesus is my number one priority, I want to do that with reckless abandon. And I know that somehow this social media platform, whether that's TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat, this social media platform drags me down, then you have to get off of it. And if you can say, no, that social media platform doesn't drag me down. I use it to glorify God. Hey, more power to you. Stay on it. Yeah. So I think here's the deal. I I agree with you about Snapchat. Um, I literally have it and talk to one person, my little brother. Uh, That's because he uses it. And I literally talked to my little brother and... That's about it. Um, but other than that, like I have never seen, I have never seen a Christian influencer use Snapchat. Let's just <laughs> let's just go ahead. Like I mean, show me one. Hashtag I have not, facts. Hashtag like I mean, like listen, I've never seen anybody be like, hey, follow me on Snapchat. I'm gonna post about Jesus. Like they're not on there, right? It's not no. on there. Like, and, but I mean, like, here's the deal. I, one thing I respect about TikTok is I respect its algorithm. I respect that the fact that it really will, like sometimes you want to test your young adults, take their phone and go, hey, open up TikTok, let's just scroll through. You see the booty shaking stuff, you're like, oh, I know what you've been watching because the algorithm catches you. And so me and my wife share a TikTok, okay? And we do have a family one, you know? And that's, and I'm, first off, I'm gonna get to that. I, I also share a Facebook with my wife. And people will, will, will say like, oh, that, you know, that means you have trouble in your marriage. Or I'm like, no, no, it's yeah. a safety valve. Are you kidding? Like people are like, well, you're a pastor. You don't have a problem. Are you kidding? Like people have blown my phone up. They don't care. They're, this world has zero boundaries. And in social media and, and, and uh, the internet and all this even increases zero boundaries. Like they, they don't care what your title is. They don't care what your role is. Like people will just be like, Hey, straight up be like, Hey, like you're super cute. Da, da, da. I'm like, uh, thank you. Like I literally heard a, a guy, a Christian artist song. He's like, listen, someone slid up in my DMS with some nudes. And he says, wow. Like knowing he's a Christian artist he's saying like, wow, he, his, the line says, 
swiped up my DMs with some news, and I said, wow, my wife got those too. Oh. And he said, I'll choose those over you. Oh. And like, and that's just sad. It's so sad because there's, there's zero boundaries to that. Mm -hmm. So I'll go back to, I respect its algorithm because then it's another way of like, hey, test your young adults. And like, so if your young adults are hearing this, they're like, hey, let me see your TikTok. Now they're going to know, like, you're not going to be able to see it. <laughs> then you still know. But now all your, all your people that listen to this, like closing this, closing they're this, gonna be like, right, they're closing this right now and they're opening their TikTok and like Christian TikToks and they're just like, click, zoom, like, zoom, yeah, zoom, yeah, zoom, zoom. Fix this algorithm. As many as fix my algorithm. Um, and so don't do that. Um, so anyway, like I respect its algorithm because when I shared my wife, I know I kind catch from like I'll get on there randomly and uh and I'll go oh that's so that's what you've been watching you know what I mean like <laughs> it'll be the most random like lots of dog videos you know and like Christian stuff so most of it's dogs and Christian stuff you know when we videos. were doing that when we were we got into TikTok over COVID like about 95% of the world and we were doing the dances yep. a lot more booty shaking stuff came up we're like okay we probably need to fix the algorithm here and so we started to look <laughs> at different stuff you know a lot more dog things and you know I get I get like vi like video ideas from my dog which my dog's more viral than I am but <laughs> anyway like that I respect its algorithm I'll say that I've never seen an influencer use it I will say that there's an amazing podcast out there that I can maybe send you a link to. You could like put down in the in the bio um, that that really changed my mentality. Uh, and it was a bunch of these like leaders in in youth ministry talking about like the success stories of what students and then power and like of, of students using their TikTok or sorry students using their TikTok and social media and then capitalizing on those stories and bringing it to your students who are like the, the leaders of your youth group and going, hey, if you're gonna use your Instagram, use it like this, you know, and giving them examples. Cause like, and that's the other thing I think I see is like TikTok influencers kind of like nothing against them and no shade, like I get it. But it's just like, okay, again, where's the motive, right? Like I think that everything in social media also does this, what's clickbait? What's going to get people to like, what's something I can say that's crazy, even if it's in like context of the Bible, how like, how can I just punch this in the face so that you'll just have to watch this multiple times or send it to like, send it to somebody like, can you believe that they said this? Like, yeah. if you're not doing it with the mode, like, I think it has to be the clear heart of why you're doing it. Going back to Taylor, like, if you know, like, hey, like, listen, I have this struggle. My accountability partners, I have this struggle, but I'm still going to have it on my phone don't do it. Yeah, right. And I've had I've had some of our young adults describe it as a gateway to sin. You know, and and that's that's true. Yeah. And that's that's something that we have to be. We got to remember that the that the enemy's hunting always, and he's gonna hunt us um, in every part of our life. It's not it's not like it was like back when when we were in high school or back in junior high where it's like you know one of your friends brings uh, a magazine or something to school and they're like hey come check this thing out like it finds you. Oh, you know? dude, I tell students all the time, of all ages, I said, I don't envy you. I don't, I don't look at you and go, man, you guys got it easy. I look at you and go, I would hate to be you. Absolutely. Because I had to work. I had to, we had to work yeah. at finding sin, basically. Absolutely. Like, we had to work for it. Yeah. Like, if you, I remember, I, like, this full transparency on the podcast, I, I, I like, hit it. Uh, like, like, I remember founding uh, Sports Illustrated, um, like a swimsuit model, swimsuit, bathing suit, yeah. swimsuit, uh, calendar issue. And I, and I hit it. Yeah. I still remember the place that I hit it in my house. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, and now I'm like, I could just literally Google swimsuit catalog. Like, it'd be yeah. like and it's, it's there. Yeah. 
And so, hey, yep. if you're hearing this and you have the issue, please don't use this as like a wormhole, like run away from sin. But like, I'm just telling you, like, I, I don't envy, like I, I, my heart breaks for them. Yeah. Well, and that leads to, to the, the mindset of what Paul tells us in Galatians five and six, you know, the reality is we're being hunted and we need to be, uh, we need to remember that as believers, we don't do certain things, not because we're better than other people. We don't do certain things because we understand that it's destructive for us, right? You know, I'm not going to go out to the bars, not because, uh, because I have a, not because I'm a drunk, but because I understand that, that this is a, a, a cultural thing that is going to affect me and it's going to draw me into destructive behavior, right? Um, and we got to put boundaries around ourselves. Okay, I got two more questions. Um, next question is, uh, what version of the Bible should I read and why? Okay, so Philip and I have actually had this conversation. Um, and he sent me a really cool diagram. <laughs> I'm sure that he has it saved on his phone for like everybody. But I really think that there's like a, and the, 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 um, the diagram he sent me, I wish I could probably pull it up. It's probably saved to like Phil's favorites, but, um, absolutely. <laughs> but there's, it's like all the way from like message on uh. one side of the, and then it's like, and it's like message on one side of that, that, and then it's like the, the King James or whatever on the opposite side. Yeah. And then so the, like thought for thought on one side and then all the way to the scale. other side is, it's is a scale. Like you sent me, yeah. it's like this huge like spectrum. Right. And I, I think that I found, cause that was something that was really big to me when I first started in ministry. I was like, I went and bought a Bible and I was like all my mentors. I was like, and people are discipling me. Like, I was like, what do you teach from? Like, I need to know, like, and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I found a lot of, like, New King James and ESV was like, what everybody that in my, my life was using. Yeah. So I usually will study in, like, something way heavier on the side of, like, the King James, New King James, all that kind of stuff on this side. Um, I'll reference if I need, absolutely need to anything on the other side. Yeah. But I, and due to audience. So, like, I'm probably not dropping message if I'm teaching on a Sunday morning. Yep. But if I need, if I need, to, like, a little bit of, like, an easier way to, like, to talk to middle school kids, I might use something a little bit over there, but still give them the heaviness. I'm not going to just give them that side. Like, I'm going to give them, hey, here's what the ESV says. That might be hard for you to understand, but this is also what it says in this translation, and here's why, here's where the... the the conversation is right. And so it's like audience, I think is important. If it's for you specifically, who are you being discipled by? What are they like? What are they reading? Ask those questions. Um, because if you're being discipled by somebody, which I hope you are like knowing what they're reading from is probably going to be able, is probably going to be more of like even common language for you in conversation. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> no, I actually we've only been going for like 20 minutes, yeah. so we got some time. I have I have had a very extensive conversation on this topic, as you know, recently in my life, and it was a is a big deal. I had to discuss, you know, what the validity behind different translations is, and and why why we have so many different ones, and how they come about, and whatnot. And so I I'll start off the top by saying if I if I was just recommending, like if I was just flat out recommending to people, I would say your KJV, your NKJV your NASB 2020, and and then maybe I would I'd recommend, depending on who I'm talking to, the, the CSB or the Holman. I, I would recommend those. And and my reason for that is I think that especially with the Internet and with the resources we have and just with pastors and, and, and people who have access to uh, the Greek language and the Hebrew language, getting a more word-for-word, -word, a more literal translation 
for your own personal use is probably better and you have access, you know, I mean, there's apps on your phone that can have access to the Greek and the Hebrew and explain stuff to you. So I tend to lean more towards that, uh, you know, literal word for word translation and stay further from the, I, I think that the, the thought for thought can give us some, uh, some insight as to some of the more confusing things in the Bible. If you're not used to, I mean, there's a phrase somewhere in the Bible. It's like, uh, I can't remember it references teeth. It's like, and it means starvation. And it's like one of those things where it's like, how, how are you supposed to know that? You know, uh, there's, there's no way if you're not like a scholar or you haven't studied that, but then again, that's why I'm saying like, we have the internet, so you can Google that. You can figure out what that means like pretty quickly. So, um, but I'll just tell you like from my own personal experience, that the interesting thing that happened to me, like I have a CSB, that's usually what I study from. It's really, it's, they call it like a hybrid. So it's pretty much word for word until there's something out of the norm that we wouldn't understand. Um, and that's where it'll translate thought for thought. But the interesting thing for me is as I've been reading it, um, I've really come to be dissatisfied with some of the parts that they are saying are word for word. And so is it wrong? Like is there's, it's not a errant version of the Bible. It's just that there are parts of it that I, I become dissatisfied with the way that they translated the English because I'll hear, I'll either read a commentary or hear somebody teach on it or as I look deeper into it, I'm like, the way they phrased it steals from the fullness of what the author was trying to say here. So the, the answer is, if you, if you really want to study, if you want to dive deep, there's like, a, we have like a, we have the, the full Bible fully translated from the Greek and Hebrew within like a 98% success rate. Like, like it's one of the most copied, one of the most well-preserved books in human history. I mean, and not one of, it is the most well, the best preserved and most well-copied book ever in history. Yeah. So we have a lot of confidence that we have the Bible. We have God's word. It's not, we're not missing it, you know? Um, so then the question just becomes, okay, do you, if you're reading the KJV, Right, because you're like, I want the, I want a really literal translation, and you can't understand it, then it does you no good. Yeah. You shouldn't be reading it. So I'm not saying, you know, this is again, we're back to like, there's not necessarily a this is the only answer. It's more of like maybe you need to get the CSB because you need to be able to understand the language better. So, so I love that because I remember my first time reading the Bible front to back, and. I, I was overwhelmed. I started like in the, in the King James was like, I, I, I can get out of Genesis one. I'm like, I don't wonder what am I doing? Dost you know, thou I'm like, I'm like, the, I'm like the pastor's kid. Like, I have no idea. What, what did he just say? Is he speaking? Is, referencing is this one? French? What's happening? Wait, what? And so like, what are we talking about? And so I, I remember going to NLT, the new living like translation. Right. And I remember reading it front to back in that. And then after I had finished it, I started going back the opposite, like towards the King James after I had fully right, grasped right. it. And here's something else I love about you version. Sometimes I'll highlight something and they have that like compare and you can highlight it and we'll see it in all. And so I've selected that, 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 uh, pretty much after you show me that I select, cause you can select your, um, your versions that you want to see. Oh, yeah. And so I selected like a whole, the whole paradigm of like the back and forth. And so it's like, I'll highlight it and then I'll look at them all. And I'm like, awesome. You know what I mean? And, and here's where I think the root of this question comes from is that we have young adults who, because they are so saturated in having anything that they want at their fingertips, they also have the, the fear of going, 
if the same thing that they asked about denominations, right? If there's so many, how do I know which one's the right one? If there's so many translations, clearly they're not, they're inaccurate. But you want to know that like, that's a worldly, that's a worldly thing that people like, like I know like a lot of people like non-believers will use that. Well, see, there's so many domina- denominations, you can't trust any of them. Right. And then, oh, there's so many translations. That means it's not accurate. Yep. When it's like, that's, I love that Taylor disproved that. It's actually not true. It's because there's different translations is there's translations for a purpose. It's not to make it inaccurate. Right. It's to be able to digest and then grow. Right. And so I think that 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 the root of that question is an anxiety question of going like, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life. And like now, now they're talking about like, someone's like, well, you read that translation. So you're like unholy. And like, I, 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 you know what I mean? I don't know what that means. It's kind of like Christian FOMO. Oh, dude, hundred percent. I got, I, I literally have a guy that I'm leading who was, who, who literally say like, uh, someone told me the other day that I was going to hell because I, I read out of this translation and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, and, 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 and it wasn't the message. Taylor, Taylor's like, well, it was the message. It was not the message. <laughs> Taylor like looked at me. I was like, don't worry. I got you. Um, no, no, no. It was, it was, and I, it was probably something like the ESV or something. Like he was just like, oh, you're not, you're not holy enough. Cause you're not reading at this. I'm like, hold on. Like, and I love the point. And I would, I want to go back and, and say what you said again, in case someone missed it. If you're reading the Bible in a, the King James or whatever, and you can't digest it, it's not beneficial for you. Right. Yes. It doesn't make you less of a believer. It doesn't make you less holy to go down the pendulum and go, hey, I'm going to read New Living Translation. I'm going to read one of these ones that I can understand. Don't stay there, but grow from there. Yes. Find a place that you can understand and grow. Yes. Man, I really don't think I need to add anything to anything you guys said. Um, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> You, I mean, you guys crushed that. Um, okay, here's another question. So we deal a lot with young adults. Um, I have conversations weekly with parents who are concerned about their young adults, right? It's like I have this, this child. They're single. They're in their mid-20s. They don't have a community. They work all the time. Um, I'm worried about them. Um, they, you know, at various things to keep themselves distracted. They're playing video games all day long or they are drinking or they're sitting at home doing stupid things they've gotten into drugs whatever and these parents are um they're tormented about their young adults they really are because they've grown up in church they've grown up knowing the truth and yet they're kind of stuck in this um black hole of life in their mid-20s we talk about the the trajectory all the time in reach um so let's i'd like to talk about this in two different angles one about the young adults and one an encouragement to the parents because I know that we have some parents that listen to our podcast and they're looking for tools for their kids. Okay, so let's talk about um, the young adult side first, uh, and then we'll move into the parents. Taylor, what do you think? Well, clarify. I've I I've already have in my head like the answer to the parents, but clarify what you mean by like the young adult side. So to the young adults, one of the questions that we have was, um, what do you do when you don't know what to do with your life? Mm. Um, like from the young adult side. How do you? So then, and that's back to the trajectory idea. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's explain, mis- for, for yeah. For so this goes way back. This goes back to to reach retreat the first year I was back. It was like twenty two years ago. Yeah. yeah so okay, so the trajectory is this idea that um, I'm told. Okay, so like I'm a Christian, right? And so then God's going to take me on this path, and this path involves like I'm going to get married, and I'm going to get the right job, and I'm going to have this many kids, and like, and that's going to keep going like this. And one of what I said two years ago when when I coined that term was that uh, if you build your life around this trajectory, then when it when pieces of that come crashing down, 
you will be left traumatized. Well, it's like literally my story because I thought like, oh, I'm a Christian and like I had the house and the wife and the car and like everything was like right. And then when all of it was gone except God, it it did damage to my faith because I had packaged all those things with God and he was the only thing left. So it's like, okay, what do I do now? But I think that's like the key is like a lot of these young adults are facing a world where they're told like you have to be, I mean, especially if they're on social media. Because all they're looking at is influencers who are like, look at all this nice stuff I have and I've accomplished so much. I'm only 22 and I have a private plane and I go to islands all the time, you know, whatever. And so the reality, though, is this, like, it's just missing the point. It's missing the point completely. Like, Philip, you say this all the time. You say you have one job to abide. Like, if you're waking up with, like, that hustle mentality, like, I'm going to accomplish something today. I'm going to go, like, hustle and make money and, like, get this bread and, like, we're going to be big. Like, that's not it. I have one job. I have one job. I wake up and I spend time in God's presence and I do whatever the next thing that God has for me to do that day, that's what I do. And I do it for his glory and I do the next thing for his glory and I do the next thing for his glory and that's it. And if I'm doing that every day, I don't look, I never, first of all, I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. And second of all, I don't look back and go, oh gosh, like, what have I been doing with all my time? No, I look back and I go, wow, God has just been completing me and fulfilling me every single day and look where I am now because of what he's done. It's your turtle on a fence post thing. Like, when somebody sees a turtle on a fence post, they think, first of all, it, it shouldn't be there. And second of all, it didn't get there by itself. That's what we should be. We should be a turtle on a fence post because when people look at us, they should go, okay, clearly he didn't get there himself and clearly somebody had to get him there. And that someone is God and that something is something I can't even imagine. If I go chasing it, I'm never going to get there. Yeah, I think this is a conversation. Or is it dead? I think that this is something that I know young adults deal with this all the time. I have talked about future more than I have talked about anything else. Um, we literally just did a series called Back to the Future because I've already talked about it and they're still struggling with it. So I've gone back to talking about the future. Um, and, and I think that here's the deal. I, I have come to realize that young, I, I, I was just talking to a young adult uh, this, past, this past couple weeks. And I said, listen, um, take, a, take, take the message from Anna in Frozen. Okay, Frozen 2, she says what? Do the next right thing. Okay, very depressing scene. I cried <laughs> with my kids on the couch. But I'm telling you right now, like, do the next right thing. What's the right thing? Abide in his word. Yeah. Do the next right thing. So it's like, okay, when you have the next right thing from that moment, then all of a sudden it's like when you stop, when you stop chasing, you'll be found. Does that make sense? Like when you stop chasing like everything that the world tells you you're supposed to have, you're going to go, oh, wow. Like I didn't see that opportunity before. I didn't see that because you were, had a whole thing. And I love how you said your trajectory. I've always packaged that as like when you are going, when you are striving for the American dream, yeah. you package the American dream with God. And therefore, when that fails, it's God's fault. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, God's like, no, I didn't say anything about a dream. Like, I didn't say anything about you have to be having this married, be married. And like, and can we also talk about, like, I tell my 20s all the time, y'all live in the Midwest. 
Okay, you go to California, you go to, uh, you know, Boston, you go to the East West Coast, they don't get married until like their 30s, mid 30s, maybe 40s, like because they just, that's not a culture, it's a cultural thing to get married earlier in the Midwest. Yeah, that's true. It's a very cultural thing. And I didn't know that. I had to learn that from a, uh, I had a roommate who was Samoan and realized that he grew up mostly on a, on a different cult, like a, a different um, side of the, the, the country. And he was like, comes to the Midwest, he's like, what are you guys talking about? He was like, we were playing college football and he's like, why is everyone talking about dating for marriage? Like, I don't want to get married. Like, he's like, I'm not even really looking to date anybody. He's like, cause like he knew that if yeah. I date, I can go to go to date for marriage. He's like, these people are, they're, we're like 19 years old. What are you talking about? And I don't understand the rush to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up, I got married at 25. Um, Shoot, my, my wife was ready to get married when I was at 23. I was like, girl, you, we trust me when you ain't ready. I wasn't ready at 25. I got married at 25, <laughs> and I had a horrible first year of marriage because I wasn't ready to be married at 25. And, and so I'm just, I think that the number one thing is that, is that when they, the question was, what do I do if I don't know what to do in my life? Do the next right thing. What's the next right thing? Open his word, spend time with him. Yeah. You're going to have clarity. You're going to see his fingerprints in your life more than you'll ever have before. And when you stop chasing it, you'll be, you'll find it. Yeah. And, and so on that note of like, what does he saying about opening your Bible and finding what God has in it? I had a pastor point out to me, said there are four categories and God's given us three of them. Uh, the first category is what is my purpose to glorify God? The second category is what is my job to abide in Jesus? The third category is what is my mission to make disciples and fish for men? And then the last category is who am I going to marry and where am I going to work and where am I going to live? It's the one category we don't have, and it's the one category the enemy wants us to spend all our time with. And it's the least It's the least the, one. Right, because we have three things the Bible has said, do this. Well, these three things will bring fulfillment and joy right. and all those things that you're looking for. But the problem is the world will tell us it's the fourth one. Right. Right? The world's not going to take the fourth one out. The fourth one was like, yeah, of course, include it into that mess. Because, like, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes the only thing. And I'm like, but, like, y'all, you know, I love, I love having this conversation with, with ladies. Like, ladies, like, show me in the Bible where it says, like, he's picked you out, the man that's 6'2", that's, that's going to be a pastor, <laughs> that, that's a worship leader. Like, yeah. show, show me. can run a 440, everything. And, and, yeah, that, exactly. and then they're like, oh, well, Adam, you know, he, he, gave, he gave Adam and Eve. And I'm like, okay, hold on. Like, you know, we're like, now we're talking about, now we're just talking about random stuff. Like, what Christian, <laughs> what, what Christian yeah. TikTok influencer are you yeah. watching? It doesn't um, say here that Adam had a six pack. It does not yeah, say. Yeah, it, it doesn't say. We, we don't know. Like, you're, you're, you're picturing Adam as this chiseled man. Like, can we just remember that, like, I mean, he had to create the wife for him. So it's like, you know, I mean, Adam didn't technically get to choose. Y'all need to hustle it down so it's like i just think that like the the thing is is it comes down to like please please stop i love that please stop adding the fourth if you're listening to this go rewind about 15 to 25 seconds listen to those four things again and please stop adding the fourth thing as the only thing yes because if you will do the first if you'll do those in those pattern what's my purpose glorify god what's you know what was the second question what's my purpose Uh, so it's glorify glorify god my job to abide in Christ, my uh, mission is to make disciples and fish for men, and then there's call. If you will just go to glorify, to abide, right. to make disciples, right. trust me when I tell you that fourth one is yeah. just going to work out. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll take this. I'm not going to name the pastor um, because he's done some dumb stuff, but he had a really good advice on dating. 
when it comes to this, because dating now has come into this question. Yeah. He says, and I sent it to everyone I was dating, and I, now I have to have, give context of like, hey, this was prior his, you know, whatever. And I just say this. He says, when you are find somebody that, that, you, that you feel like you want to date, and you are occupying your street, and you're running down your street, and you look over there and go, wow, he's cute. Put your head down and keep doing those three things. Right. I wish he would, he, could, right. he could have added so much more to it. Do those first three things. Put your head down, abide, glorify, make disciples. Put your head, like that, you're just going to be walking your trajectory, your path with God. You yeah. pick your head up months from now, and he's still in that same spot. Put your head down. Do those first right, three right. things. You pick your head up that third time. He's still there. You want to know why he's still there? Is because he's running. He's doing the other three things himself. Right, right. Yeah. He's, he's occupying his own street. He's not standing there going like, can I get in on your street? Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow you. Right? Ladies, don't do that to the guy. Don't go, I'm just going to get on your street and I'm just going to like, like I'm, I see this all the time. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna master marry a pastor, and I'm just gonna be sitting in his shadow, and it's like, look at me. You know what I'm like? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Have your own three things, right? Have your yep. own ways to glorify God. Abide in your, in Him for yourself, and make disciples for yourself. Like, do those three things. Don't get in anybody else's shadow and just say, I'm just gonna like glorify God. I'm gonna abide and like through mm-hmm. them. You will never have a relationship yeah. with Jesus individually if you do that. And you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to go, um, I'm here with my husband. I'm his plus one. And he's like, I don't know you. So it's like, I don't know. Check that out. Ah. Well, I mean, think about this, too, that you have uh, – we have the, a misconception of marriage in the young adult community that marriage is like this thing where we just kind of, I'm going to marry my best friend, and we're going to have all this fun together, and we're going to travel, and one day we're going to get a camper, and we're just going to see the world. And that's just not true. Like the reality is that being married is not about um, about one person living their dream and the other person tagging along. It is about it, it's a team sport, right? The the, the best analogy is uh, in in agriculture, they have this thing that's called a yoke, and a and a yoke is designed to to put two animals side by side to do work together. They pull together. The purpose of marriage is to glorify God and to display the relationship that Jesus has with his church to the world. And if we are chasing marriage because we think it's going to complete us, that is the, the goal is not to be hitched with somebody else. The goal is to do the work that God has called us to do individually, and he moves us together as a team forward. And we can't just chase the relationship and let that be the idol because that's short-sighted. And honestly, we're elevating ourselves above what God what God intended for us. And we're not doing those the three basic things. And I think to go back on that agriculture thing because everybody, like I've heard so many young adults like, I just want to be equally yoked. I'm like, first off, know what it means, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, means that first off is the yoke on you, like you just said. First off, the yoke has to be on you. <laughs> like you got to be plowing the field, doing those three things. Like you're pulling, right? And eventually someone's going to get hitched up with you that's going to pull that same three things, but they're probably pulling it themselves. Again, yep. it's all these analogies put, mixed together. And it's just like your three things is, is the, and that fourth is just the least. And it's, but the, but the world will shout the fourth the loudest. Yep. Well, and that's the thing is if you're hitched to somebody, and the, the whole reason why scripture says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever is because if you have two people who are tied together and you and one of them is constantly pulling in a direction that's not going in a godly way, you're going to be you're going to spend all your energy just trying to maintain the path. And you're not actually going to do what God wants you to do. Okay, let's transition to the parents. 
Okay, so oh, I forgot there was a second part of this. We didn't yeah. have anything for like we had everything <laughs> for the parents. Like we officially figured yeah. it out. Okay, so you have a you got a parent. They've got a young adult child um, that is living on their own, or they're at school. Um, I get this question all the time, right? Parents are concerned for their young adult children. Um, wh- what advice would you give to those parents who are watching from a distance, who want their children to chase Jesus, and they feel like they're stuck? Yeah, so I have I have only three things to say about this, and they're pretty concise. I just love that he has exact points like in his head. <laughs> He's I need got a PowerPoint in his yeah, pocket. Can you just print those for me? <laughs> so here, here's my here's my thing for, for for parents on this issue. One is if you're not recklessly following Jesus, how can you expect to teach your Come kids on. that? That's the first one. Can you say that one again? If you're not recklessly following Jesus, how can you expect to teach your kids that? Like they're they're mm-hmm. not going to learn. Be, it's not you know uh, do what I say, not what I do. You have to be following Jesus. Yeah. You know, and then my... It's do it's do what I do so it matches what I say. Right. Bingo. Bingo. And then here's my, my second thing is this, and this kind of leads into my third one, but my second thing is you have to recognize that no matter how much you love your kid and no matter how much you care about your kid, God loves your kid more than you. Like that, and that's important to understand my third point, which is this. Stop being the safety net for your kids. Like it, no one, no one ever grows without failing. And so if you don't let your kid, unfortunately, painfully, make some stupid mistakes and actually not have you as that safety net, then they won't realize like, okay, this is real. You know, I, I had a sink or swim moment in my life at 18 and it was, okay, I I either get this together or I drown. Mm. And that and that changed my whole life because, you know, I, I coasted through high school. I didn't care. I made mediocre grades at best but when I went to college I made great grades because I was terrified of failing and that was the best thing that my parents ever could have done for me is say like you're on your own like you got to figure it out you're 18 Mm. you know so so I think but but I think you can do that third thing if you recognize how much God loves your kid like he loves your kid even the bad stuff that happens to your kid is designed to draw your student your young adult closer to him but you have to recognize that first and then you can say okay we can't we can't bail him out every single time can't bail her out every single time yeah and understand that the 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 life that you have invested in them in the word it's still there right and in their desperate moments the holy spirit's going to draw it out you know the word does it doesn't come back void right yeah i think um I want to expand on the whole, like, God loves your child more than you do. That was the first conversation I had with my wife on the way home with our first child. There's nothing we're going to be able to do. There's no amount of love that we could give them, safety we could give them. We can't give them anything that's not going to match what God can give them. We can't do it. It's God's. It was it, he, My son, my, our kids, I don't care how old they are, they were God's before they are yours. And God's plan for them is going to be bigger than yours. And if you will just stop trying to vicariously, and here's the first question I would ask them. What were you like in your 20s? (laughs) I was a total jerk. I'll be honest. I was not a really good person in my 20s. I wasn't doing well. (laughs) I mean, just any parent that comes to me with that is just like, explain to me what you were like in your 20s. And then they're like, oh, well, no, 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 Wells. Just talk to me about it. What struggles were you having? And, and sometimes people are like, well, I was grinding. 
I was going to everything, and I go, and 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 I, and I go, okay. And how old are you now? Well, I'm like, I'm in my 40s. I'm 50 or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you really feel when you look back at that time? And you go, man, I don't even. I hated my 20s. I really hated it. I hated the grind. I hated that. And I think that so often, as I tell students all the time, guys, listen, someday you're going to be 35, and you're going to look back at the 20s and go, man, I wish I would have just been present. I wish I would have just engaged with my community more. I wish I would have just been abiding in those three things, worry about those three things in my 20s more. Mm-hmm. And my first question to parents is, like, what were you like in your 20s? And really unpack that. And really, really soul search yourself before you start complaining. And the next thing is, we hear so many, so so often, we just love to uh, divide people for every reason. So we have like even, not only do we have, like we said, denominations and all these other things, we, we also have uh, g- generations, right? Like g- Gen Z and millennials and Gen X and boomers and all these other things, right? Yeah. I heard one time saying like, hey, can we stop complaining about the generation below us because we have to realize the generation below us is only copying with what's being raised. Yeah, you're the one that brought them up. Yeah, yeah. Like, boomers, stop complaining about millennials. You raised them. Millennials, we... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that's a great point. And so it's like, we have to realize that we are a product. Every generation will always be a product of two things. Their home and and the the culture that they're in. So it's like, our our Gen Z is going to grow up in a very diverse, and a very diverse in every way, every way, sexually race, every diverse way, they will grow up in that way. Second, they will grow up, um, they'll grow up with the most connected but disconnected generation of all time. Mm. So we have to realize that when you're looking at millennials, you're looking at like, now the kids that we're reaching are like upper Gen Z, um, that you have to realize that like, these kids are fast adapters, but slow producers. Like, they're going to adapt fast to culture. Like, they're going to adapt fast to any technology. They'll adapt fast to, like, learning. Like, they can just Google it. I mean, I have so many. We have how, – how many young adults do you know? Like, I didn't know how to do this, so I just YouTubed it. Yeah. Right. So they're fast learners. Like, they're going to be fast adapters to, like, uh, something. But they're going to be f- slow producers. So you're like, man, I just wish my kids would make disciples. Well, guess what? They are like literally, they're fast to adapt to what you're teaching, but they're going to be probably slower to produce it. Mm. It's not that they don't want to produce it. It's just that they're really, they, they have adapted to it so fast that they're like, now I'm trying to unpack it. I'm yeah. in, but yeah. now I need to unpack it. Think about us. Like I think about me, like I was a slow adapter and a slow producer, right? Like I like, I grew up in it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But then I was like, still like, I don't know if I really want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But they're like, I'm in, I'm in, but I'm going to be slow to produce it. And it doesn't, I don't think that that means that they won't. Um, I just think that we can't, we can't discredit the pace. Yeah. Um, and parents, please stop looking at them and going, hey, this was the plan I had for you. That's not what the Bible says. Come on, say that one one more time. This is like, you parents, please stop saying, this is the plan I have for you. Go read the word. It says that the Bible says that he has a plan. Mm-hmm. 
It's his plan, not yours. And if you really love them and you realize God loves them, that means he has a plan and a destiny for them that is going to, he completed, he started something in them by you raising them in your home, abiding in the word, recklessly abandoning, chasing God. He's going to start something in. My daughter is four years old and literally had a conversation with me today about the sky and how God like created the sky. And I said, I said, baby girl, how did God create the clouds? Just random question to a four-year-old. She said, daddy, that's a hard conversation. It's hard to explain. I said, it's okay, get, you'll get there. <laughs> but, the, but here's the deal. Like what I'm trying to say is, I, I personally, my dad died when I was seven. So from a seven-year-old men- mentality, I, I from, at seven said, I gotta have a boy. That was my whole goal have a boy to pass on my dad's name have a boy when i found out i was a boy it was the most it was the most joyous day of my life baby boy comes out you're holding your baby boy wrapped in blue and you're like this is the most amazing moment of my life marriage this moment my relationship with god they're all like looking at this and like you said my trajectory was all tied into that and all of a sudden my son starts to have like you know issues with school, and they're saying, "Hey, he, he's not developing the way he should." And all of a sudden, the plan I had for him, the view I had for him was so wide. I mean, we the the world was our oyster. Like we could go grab the moon if we wanted to. It starts to shrink. Maybe he's not going to be everything I thought he was going to be. Maybe he's not going to change the world like I thought he was going to change the world. Someone looked at us and prophesied and said, like, hey, your son's going to do amazing things in the kingdom of God. You know what's funny? This is why counseling is important. And I brought that up to him. And I started to share how much, like, oh, well, now, you know, if he has this disability, da-da-da-da, like, he can't. And he goes, Dusty, when you hear that he's going to change, like, do amazing things in the kingdom of God, you already have a view of that, don't you? And I realized it was my plan. It was my view of what that, that looks like. Not God's view. So if you have a God's view outlook on your parents and you just say, listen, I'm going to do those three things for my kids. I'm going to glorify God in my home. I'm going to abide in him. And I'm going to make disciples of my own family. And I'm just going to answer their questions. I'm going to struggle with them when they struggle. I'm going to try my best to answer the questions. And I'm going to tell my kids, you know what? Daddy doesn't know. But I want to be here with you. You know, my, my, my son. Daddy, how come these bad things happen? How come, how come someone has to die? And I'm like, man, that's a hard one, bud. And you have to sit down and have that conversation with a seven-year-old. You know, how come nobody wants me? You tell me about you answering that to a five-year-old. How come nobody wants me? And you're like, dude, I'll never forget the time and the place where I was at when he asked me that question. You can love your kids all you want. You could want the best for them all you want. But remember that our Heavenly Father wants the exact same thing for every one of his kids. Yeah. Every single one of his kids. You are not the, you are not the picture of a perfect parent. He is. Yeah. So give yourself grace and then give them grace and love them through it without being the safety net and without being an enabler. Help them find the like. Help them find the answer without giving them the answer. Ask more questions. Don't be the solution. Let them find the solution. And I'm going to tell you all this, parents. 
the danger that you're trying to perfect them, protect them from could be the honestly the thing that creates the amazing work in their life, even if you hate it. Mm. Even if it's your greatest fear. Oh, man, my son's going to get addicted to alcohol. You know what? I'm not saying, like, good for them. Like, I'm not saying just let them do it. You warn them. You pray for them. You tell them the concerns of this. You tell them the impact's going to have. But, those, again, their choices are not on you. Yeah. If you've done everything you can do, you've done those three things, you've loved God, you've abided, you've recklessly abandoned God, or not abandoned, abided. That Can you edit that out? <laughs> um, if you've recklessly um, abided in Christ and you love God, they're going to know that, but they're also going to want to know how you, they're also going to want to know how you love them through their choices. Yeah. They're going to see God's love, not by enabling them, but going, Hey, you know what? You made a choice. Here's the consequence. Mm-hmm. How do I, like God's grace doesn't re- remove the consequence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stop telling them like, Oh, well, there's a consequence. We'll just, we'll just shine that up, move on. No, no, no. There's a consequence. We're going to unpack the consequence. I still love you. God still loves you. We're still in this process, but there is a consequence and we'll have to undo. We'll have to live with it. We're going to grow through it. And so I think that parents like just, just take a breath, you know, unpack what you were like, really have a soul searching moment of what your life was like at 20. Well, I think too, the, one of the challenges is that these parents will project on their kids. Like you were saying, they'll project on their kids. Like this is what your life should look like. And like, if I can say anything to these parents, Stop meddling in your child's life. Your child does not need to get married to be satisfied. Your child does not need to meet a boy or meet a girl to be satisfied. Your kid does not need to get a, get a, this kind of job to be satisfied. Your kid needs Jesus 100%. And God is going to strip away all of that extra stuff that you think that is so necessary in order to get their heart. And we, we are so consumed with protecting our kids or or. Even selfishly, I've had I've had parents tell me, you know, I'm just nervous that you know I'm going to be too old to have grandbabies whenever the time comes. Like oh it's my like gosh. that that is one of the most destructive, selfish things that you can say. Like you you didn't have children so that you could have grandchildren. I had a guy tell me one and if time. If you did, then you you did it for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. Like, I, I had an older gentleman tell me one time something that I will never forget. Best one of the best parenting advice I ever got. He said, "God has not called us to raise good kids." God has called us to raise godly adults. And the purpose of an arrow is to shoot it. And guess what? You don't retrieve it. It's gone. And the, the challenge is that our parents are so consumed with trying to micromanage their children's lives to make it look a certain way, because it needs to be on the trajectory, that they miss out that God is taking their child on a path to capture their heart. And I think about this often that in Psalm 23, he says um, that he leads me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We forget that the paths of his righteousness lead through the valley of the shadow of death. I tell, and I tell students, it doesn't say to build a tent there. You keep moving through it. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't we're, say we're not like, making camp. I'm just sitting in the valley of the shadow of death, God. And I'm like, <laughs> not what the Bible says. No. Keep moving through it. No. And, no. and can we go back to like his namesake? His namesake. His, his glory. It's his not about glory. me. It has nothing to do with yep. you as every, and like, can you just, can we all just like say that together? It has nothing to do with you. Guess what? You want degrees of anxiety? Realize that. 
has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. I'm a piece in his kingdom. It's not my kingdom be yeah. done. It's his kingdom be done. The pressure's off you. Yeah. Okay. I know I said that was the last question, but I've got one more. We're, uh, we got just a tiny bit of time. So one of the questions that we were asked that I have here is how do you chase Jesus? How do you abide in Christ personally? Like we, we counsel people all the time about their walk with God. But what does that look like for you guys individually as you, as Dusty and as Taylor, as you chase Jesus? Um, what does that look like for you? I think, okay, so I, I go to, everyone always says, like, Dusty, you talking like these metaphor things, but like, uh, our illustrations. But I always go back to like uh, the old school car radios that none of these kids know, right? They all, all these kids know, like, cars that have like screens in them and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just know cars that have like an old, like, tape deck in it and all that kind of stuff, right? And what, what would happen on old school radios was what? There was a button that would say seek, right? Oh, yeah. And people were like, how do I hear God? How do I follow God? You seek him, right? You seek me, you'll find me, is what he says in his word. So you push the seek button. What happens to that radio? You're driving on an FM radio. You're just like, I just want to hear something clearly. You press seek until something comes through. Then you are going to hear it. It's like a, it's a journey across the country, right? It's this long journey. You're in this, this vehicle. You're just hitting seek. You find a good radio station. You're listening. It's clear. You're having a good time. But there's going to be a moment that static's going to hit hit seek again. Keep hitting seek until it's clear and be there. Listen, digest, like live on those mountaintops in those moments and then just keep seeking God in the static. And so like for me, it's just constantly going, am I in the ebb and flow of just like, man, I'm just on it. Like I'm just hearing God's voice. Like everything is just moving or like sometimes I have to digest like, man, I'm just in the static. Every, like I'm busy. I'm not taking days off. I'm not resting well. I need to see God. See God. My wife will tell me when I'm like irritable. She's like, when was the last time you talked to God? Like, when was the last time you had a quiet time? Like, please, like, go away. <laughs> you know, like. I love your wife. Praise She's God awesome. for her, you know. <laughs> and so it's like, I go back to that moment. It's like, I need to die. Like, am I in the flow? Is everything clear? If it's not, then I'm in the static. So seek him. You know, and when. Oh, it's, it's hard because our young adults, they don't, they don't understand that analogy. If, I know. Sorry. If they do, they, they, it's amazing because the, it's, it's so true because they're, when, you, when you're on a road trip and all you have is the radio, you don't have a CD player. You don't have an aux cable. <laughs> There's no aux cable. No Spotify, nothing. no Apple Music. Yeah. It's like there, there are points on a road trip where you're in between towns and you're sitting there seeking and you can't get a clear station. And the one that you were listening to is kind of getting bled over into another station. And, like, you get this weird, Lots of like, different voices. And, and here's the deal. Guess what? It doesn't stop the journey. Yes, exactly the point. Oh, we're, <laughs> That's, we're that we high yeah, five, by tracking, the way. We're we're like, we always chest bumps. Okay. Dude, here's the deal. It's like... Taylor's not moving. We, there are times in your life whenever you're, you're, you're on the road that God's called you to be on, right? And just because he's not talking or you think he's not talking or it's not clear, the, the, the reality is that he's already put you on the road. He's already put you on the road. You're and already the, moving. You just you just stay the course and you wait and the stations will become clear. And it's just like, okay, all I know is in this moment, number one, God doesn't seem like God's clear. Number two, I don't know if he's actually talking to me. I'm not picking up anything. It's not that he's not talking. If he is, you just got to keep seeking. That's right. It's like I do know one thing, and it's that God has called me in this direction, and I'm going to stay going in that direction until I get 
alternative orders. And once that happens, then I'll change my course. But until that happens, I'm cruising at 65 miles an hour, 70 if you're advantageous, right? Um, but I'm going to cruise down this road, and I'm not going to stray until the station's coming clear. Great analogy. I love that. Taylor, what about you? Well, I definitely don't have that fantastic analogy. That was really good. But um, You're like writing it down. Like, yeah, oh, man, like, I've got to keep that one. Okay. <laughs> it's not true. Um, so I don't, I don't have an analogy. I, but for me, it comes down to two things. Well, one thing, and if you've heard me teach in like the last like five or ten times that I've taught, like every time I teach now, at some point, I will just yell, read your Bible. Because that has become like my mantra is like, if you're not reading your Bible, you're like, you're just missing everything. Like you can't, like that book literally has every answer for life. Every answer. It is the, it is the user manual for the human condition. And if you're not reading that book every single day, then I, I don't want to tell you, nothing else you're going to do matters. Like the, everything else is just like spinning in the wind. Like you're, yeah. you, you have no ability to even continue your road trip you basically have pulled over with the static going and decided to just park your car you have to read your bible that's like the be all end all wake up read your bible or read your bible go to sleep i don't care whatever you do like whatever your time of day for it is read your bible yeah and i think i think on top of all that surround yourself with two things one your you know your paul your timothy what is it? Like, you're Paul, you're Peter, you're Timothy. That's actually what's going next. Paul Barnes, oh, discipleship. Yeah. yeah, discipleship, 100%. I'm, we're all on the same page. Like, um, and that's usually a good thing, because a lot of times people don't agree on stuff, all of this like stuff. But I'll say this. Who are you? Who is a peer that you're just leaning with, right? It's a good accountability partner. But then who's discipling you? Who's above you? Who's, who's 10 years, 10 chapters down in life? I, one thing I tell these young adults is like, hey, please stop trying to be discipled by one of each, one of you. Yes. You need somebody with experience in that role. Ten, like 10 chapters down. Yep. Like, like who, who you, you want that fourth thing, right? You want the marriage, you want the kids, you want all this, but you're not willing to be decisive by a, by a married couple that's doing it. Mm-hmm. You just want to talk to your girls about like what you both don't have. Come on. Like, it's not discipleship. It's, any, it's not anything. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. I, dude, young adults, young adults will come hang out with us, and they'll go like this. Hey, I'm not ready for kids because they hung out with our family. <laughs> I'm, like, I, I'm like, let's go. Yep, that's right. I, I probably stopped a lot of early pregnancies <laughs> from just letting them in my house. But, like, here's the thing. Like, the, the truth is, is, like, but we spend time with them. We let them in. And so it's like you have to first, and that sometimes that, that's, that's hard to find. That's hard to find. Someone's going to side with you. That's going to let you all the way in. I have it's because I have the philosophy. You want to impress people from a stay at a distance. You want to impact people. Let them close. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I'll let people as close as they want. You want to see all my junk? Cool, because you're going to see me walk through the 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 yep. valley. You're going to see me walk through static. You're going to see me in the moments where everything is connecting. Yep. You're going to see me when everything's not connecting. So I think like be discipled, have accountability with a peer. And then who's someone that you're like, that you can look at that you go, man, that's there are two or three chapters behind me that you can lead. Yep. Yeah. And, and so that's exactly where I was hit. It was discipleship. And, I, but I'll just add this cause you, you said it perfectly, but I'll just add this. When you start really getting discipled, like when you're really getting poured into and pouring into someone else, you, that is, that is like 
breathing pure oxygen. I mean, you, you will get addicted to that so fast. And that's where I like, I, I'm re, I, I've started reading the book Invested Life. And uh, one of the things he points out is like how few people ever actually get a discipleship relationship, like actually have one. And the thing is like, I can't even imagine living without that now. Mm. Like the, the people that pour into me are so vital to my spiritual walk and to just to my ability to just not crippled uh, like you know curl up in a ball and just not move like that is such a huge piece so read your bible and let god put people in your life that you can that you can pour into and you can be poured into by yeah and and on the discipleship piece one of the things that if you guys haven't read the book the invested life by joel rosenberg you should get it it's cheap online a great resource to just frame what discipleship is but one of the things that he talks about in that book is he talks about if you know you need to be discipled, if you know you need that older believer to pour into you, don't wait for them to ask you. If you see someone that you see is chasing Jesus and that they they have godliness on them, be intentional about finding ways to be around them. You don't have to, it's not like the eighth grade where you're asking a girl to the dance, right? You don't have to make it awkward. Just just go wherever they are and find yourself in their shadow. Can we say, like, understand cultural context of the Bible and like Jesus was the only rabbi to say you follow me. It was the opposite way around. Yes. It was like those, those young pupils that wanted to follow and learn the Torah and all that kind of stuff would ask the rabbi, can I follow you? Then they would go through a series of, of tests and learning and all that kind of stuff. And then they would follow them. Jesus broke the code and says, you, I want you. Yes. And so it's like, we have to realize if you're sitting there, I, I hate, I hate when I thought, well, no one's, no one's discipling me. Well, well have you asked anybody? <laughs> well, no, no, I'm, I'm just waiting for, I'm waiting for someone to show up like Jesus is that you follow me. No, 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 no. We're, this world is, I don't care how holy anybody is. We're still all a little bit busy. <laughs> like, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Even if people are just hundred percent abiding, like, Hey, listen, I'm in my time with God. Like sometimes I need someone to kind of go, Hey, like, can I join that with you? Yep. And you have to like say that. There's been there's been three there's been three people in my life who have have specifically asked me, can I be discipled by you? Three, in ten years, mm. three, because it's an awkward it's an awkward ask. Yeah, can you like and they, and we don't we don't say the word discipleship. Ugh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird to say discipleship. We'll say other like Christian things like, will you pour into me? First off, it's weird when you it's outside yeah, of it's Christianity, like, what that, what right? Yeah. Outside of Christianity, you're like, uh, <laughs> but like here's the deal. I've had all three of them, two, only one of the three said the word, will you disciple me? One. And the only reason he asked me is because he heard me ask somebody else. And that person turned me down to my face and he said, I'll take it. Mm. I'll take it. I'll take that time. And then the other two were like, man, I just want to like hang out with you. Can we sit down like one hour a day? Da, 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 da. Come on. I just like would love to talk to you about some of the stuff that's like, like reading the word. I'm saying, you're saying discipleship. And they're like, Oh, oh, is that what that is? Oh, and I'm like, oh, that's exhausting. <laughs> Just say the word. Well, um, so for, for me, like as I'm trying to chase Jesus, um, something that I have learned over the years is that I'm a big journaler. Um, I have found that thoughts will roll around in my head uh, forever if I don't get them out. And so uh, if I'm chasing Jesus, like what that looks like for me personally is like all, both of you have said, you've got to spend time in the word. That is the the mirror that God uses, James chapter one says that it's the mirror that God uses to show us ways that we are being stupid and being sinful and fleshly. Um, 
So that's one thing. Spend time in God's word. But the second thing is to write things down. Like I'm a big believer. I've got, I'm working on, on volume 28 of journals. I've been journaling since I was 15. And, um, I started out, I didn't do it every day. I still don't do it every day. I do it maybe a couple times a week. Um, but what that does is that allows me number one, to get my thoughts on paper. But secondly, like one of my favorite things, we're at the end of the year, we're in November, uh, right now. And for New Year's Day, my favorite thing, my favorite tradition that I started a couple years ago is I pull my journals out for the year and I go back through and I just spend a, New Year's Day is always a day off usually for people. And so I have my coffee, I sleep in, get my coffee, I sit in my chair with my you know blanket over the top. And I sit there and I just like thumb through my journals for the year and be like, God, let's remember what we did. And um, the book of, uh, of Joshua, when Joshua goes into the promised land through the Jordan River, um, God commands him to, to get 12 stones out of the river and build a monument so that the, the children and grandchildren will know what happened there. And I see my journals as stacked stones. And something that's amazing to me that, that God showed me a couple years ago was that my kids now are doing that. I've got two teenagers at home. And the day is going to come when I'm gone, but they're journalers too. And so the day will come where they can actually set their journal next to mine on the same day and see my entry and see their entry. And they can see... Um, they can see what was going on with my life. And something that I, I saw in a TV show, it's totally stupid, doesn't really even matter, but the, but the line stuck with me, is this, this, uh, this Roman centurion is talking to his scribe, and he's dictating something, and he goes, he asks him, what is it like? And the scribe looks at him, you know, this guy's a slave. He has no, no value other than writing down words. And he said, what do you mean? He said, what's it like? He said, I'm telling you what to write, um, but... I don't, I don't know what you're writing. What's it like to whisper into the future? Because people will forget me, but your words will live on forever. And the idea is, you know, we have the ability to, to whisper into the future and to have influence beyond our, our generation. And I think that beyond that, my journaling has changed. I started out thinking, oh, well, I'm writing, out, writing down all this amazing stuff. Somebody's going to read this one day. And, you know, man, this Philip Jackson, he's amazing. Um, but then God began to just change my heart and humble me and realize this is an honest, safe place for me in my journal. I can use whatever words I want. It doesn't matter. I can say whatever I want. I can write whatever I want, and I can honestly pour my heart out to God. If you read my journal, you're going you're gonna to read an authentic uh, view of who I am as a person, insecurities and all, and that's, a, that's my safe place. It's the part of Instagram that you don't post. Right. And if you do post it, it's usually with a good filter and a cup, a cup of coffee. Right. Yeah. So it's like, but no yeah, one's, exactly. no one, no one can read it. No one can yeah. read actually what you wrote. <laughs> you know, you just wrote about how much you hate life. Right. But like, you're like, look how cute this picture is. Um, and, but, but there's someone that's going to listen to this right now and will completely discredit everything you just said for the simple fact of like, I don't like writing and I'm not a journaler. Like, please stop saying stuff that you're not if you've never tried it. Yes. Because I was that guy. I can't read my writing. I'll never, it's never going to be useful. Let me tell you something. It goes back to when I taught English class and I remember I would just beg kids, I'm going to give you five minutes. I just want you to write anything. It doesn't matter. Just write everything down. I don't care if you misspell it. I don't care if the sentences I don't, are complete. I don't care if you miss punctuation, write it. Yep. And sometimes those writings, what I would show them is like, Hey, guess what? When I ask you, Hey, we're going to write an essay. They're like, Oh, can we go back to your free writes for a second? that's really good. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's actually like fix that and then turn it in. And here's the deal. Your journals are going to be like, I started doing that. I, I closed my like very first one front to back first journal this year. Yes. And I hung it up 
in my like in my library and I put a little on the bind it says what's in it. It's like it literally says like what I wrote about, like these are the main things I talked about in there because I went through. Yep. There is no greater joy. There's not an Instagram post around how many followers you're gonna get than putting that up in the shelf and going, wow, like that was look at all those times I spent with God. Yep. A full book of them. Yep. And I'm telling you, there don't discredit things that you've never tried. When, it, when someone's telling you that it's, it's been beneficial for them, right? I know I said that, like, your piece isn't going to match them, but if you got to at least try it, mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm going to just, and, like, don't just go, like, I journaled once, ugh, I didn't like it. When you dedicate yourself to it, like, oh, you know, it's, it's, like, 30 days to make a habit. It's, like, and then it's, like, double that to, like, do an, uh, undo a bad habit. So, like, just do it and commit to something for, like, 30 days and then watch what happens. Yeah, I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for uh, your time today. I know that we've been here for a while. It's a little bit longer than we normally go, but um, I'm just so grateful for you. Um, Dusty is um, the student pastor at Crossings of BCC in Bixby, um, good ministry partner and, and close friend. Uh, if you're a young adult and you're looking for a spot to plug in, uh, Truth Over Trend is a great place. Um, Dusty uh, runs that ministry, and they meet on Tuesday nights at the Crossing, and um, you can check them out. Uh, and... Uh, also, you know, Reach is another great community where you can be a part of. We meet here at Evergreen. Uh, you guys know that. But um, there's a place for you. I want you to know that. Um, God is doing something in young adults, and um, the only thing that's missing is you. So throw out the excuses and jump on board because it's going to be awesome. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.